Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. And now, a message from our sponsor, Wilfrid Laurier University. With Laurier's 100% online degree programs, you can earn your undergraduate or graduate degree from a top-ranked university with an academic and institutional tradition that's over 100 years old. Choose from a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Policing, Master of Public Safety, and five graduate diplomas in the areas of Emergency Management, National Security, Countering Crime, Border Strategies, and GIS and Data Analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards a BA in policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.com. Hello, Blue Line the Podcast subscribers. We hope you're doing well, and welcome back for another episode of Blue Line the Podcast. I'm Brianna Charlebois, editor of Blue Line Magazine. Today, we are joined by two guests from Peel Regional Police, Deputy Chief Nick Milinovich and Detective Constable Kathy Kolbeck. We'll be chatting about their newly launched Intimate Partner Violence Unit. Welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you Thank for you. having me. Awesome. So maybe to start, uh, Nick, I don't know if you maybe mind explaining for our audience what sort of the unit does, how it works, and how it's different from, you know, previous models or, uh, or models that other units might be or other services might be using across the country. Excellent. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to begin with an answer for that question. But of course, uh, you know, I'd invite Kathy. To jump in at any moment as well because she's uh you know one of the people that's that's actually participating in the unit day to day but broad strokes what i can tell you is the mandate of the unit uh it is responsible for investigating criminal offenses attached to intimate partner violence uh for the region of peel so the easiest way to understand that is when an emergency response is required our uniform officers will respond once they develop or begin to believe that there are grounds for a criminal offense, it's then transitioned over to our intimate partner violence unit. And people like Kathy will then take over the investigation along with uh, case management. And, and really high level, that's what the unit is and that's what it, what it does. Now, the second part of that question you'd asked how it's different. And this is something that I'm incredibly proud of as I'm sure Kathy is as well. Um, you know, it is, it's different because it follows the family justice model. And we are one of the largest services nationally that have incorporated the family justice model into our service delivery strategy in the area of intimate partner violence. Um, and what that means is the officers like Kathy or the investigators like Kathy and the team, they aren't uh, responding from a police division. They are actually co-located and partnering with different differing advocacy service, services in the community from a location that's not a police station. So they're embedded with our community service partners. That's a big piece of what I think makes this different um, because the co-location and proximity really breeds collaboration. The other thing that makes our service model slightly different than uh, what we had had originally and, and historically is it's aligned with our community safety and well-being plan. So this represents a huge investment from our police service in an area that our community has identified as being a priority, that being intimate partner violence. So that's a plan that sits with our, our regional partners and the community of Peel, but we recognize as a police service, it was important enough that we also needed to invest in it 
and make changes in that area in order to support our community's wellness there. So uh, that is another thing that makes this slightly different. And then, you know, very simply for me, and probably one of the most important differences in our approach are people like Kathy um, and really the membership that is participating in and working incredibly hard to make a difference. Um, you know, we asked our partners, how can we be better? Of course, there was discussions around better reflection of the community, better understanding of survivor stories, and, you know, just making changes to who it is we have providing this incredibly critical service to our community. You know, Kathy and the membership in that unit, they're representative of that. We had, well, I believe over 160 members apply and compete for this position. So when you talk about passion and a person who represents our community really understands some of the pressures that they're responding to and trying to address, but is also going to be effective and passionate in their advocacy, it's people like the members that are currently attached to that unit. So for me, that's one of the most important things that makes this approach different than uh, than, than historically we'd, we'd used. Right, do you have anything to add, Kathy? No, I mean, he's, it pretty much says it all. Um, just having that, um, the location that we're in. I mean, once this COVID thing is over, um, it'll be really interesting to see how we all interact together with the, you know, the um, victim services and, you know, all the supportive services that are there because right now no one's there. So it'll be, I mean, it's really exciting to, to move forward and out of this, you know, this pandemic and um, actually have the people in the location with us because that'll be really different because uh, right now we're the only ones there. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we're really, we're really building relationships with those services, which I don't think we've ever really did. Um, you know, it's not just a phone call, we're going to be able to go face to face and, um, you know, having a victim not have to tell their story eight times to eight different people. I think that's really super important. And you have, you have a unit now of people who want to investigate domestic um, violence or intimate partner violence, um, because not everyone does. It's very time consuming. Um, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of interviews and, you know, warrants, production orders, things like that. So, you know, there, a, a lot of cops just, you know, they want to find drugs. They want to catch the bad guys. They want, you know, they want to get in the foot chases and, and, uh, and they don't want to do the intimate partner um, investigation. So, and that's fine. That's because it's not for everybody. And now you have a unit with people who are specifically interested in doing that kind of work. So it's, I, I think it's making a big difference. Right. Well, that leads really well into our my next sort of question. I know that your specific story and your um, your career in policing, but what led to it is is quite interesting and relevant here. So um, I'm wondering whether you can maybe speak to that a little bit and, and maybe explain your own history uh, with domestic violence and how that led to your career in policing. Um, well, I mean, it was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking like 30 years ago and I did pretty much everything since then. Um, you know, my, my history, my career history is I'm a, you know, a, a certified welder metal, metal fabricator. I was a nursing assistant. I was in travel for 14 years. Um, and then I ended up staying home with my children after I had my last son. And I decided I wanted to get back into health and safety. And I volunteered with Peel Police as an auxiliary and loved it. 
Um, I thought, why didn't I do this 20 years ago? Um, but anyways, I ended up being hired at 42 years old. And um, we did the, the old police physical test. I had to train for a year with a personal trainer to pass that test. It was, it was pretty, pretty awesome. And, um, you know, it was, it's funny because as, as a rookie on the road, I would, you know, I go out to uh, calls with my, my training officer and especially the domestic calls and people would gravitate to me and it's like, Oh, I'm just learning, but I could relate to them. I, could, I, I knew what they were feeling and what they were going through. So, you know, I felt like I had this, um, bit of an upper hand with that because I had that life experience, um, unfortunately. So yeah, and I just feel like everything I've gone through being a survivor and my policing career and, you know, and, and, you know, all my other careers, I can, I just feel like everything I've worked for is for this. It's, it's like the end game for me, you know, I'm really happy where I am. I have, you know, great people I work with. And it's just really nice to have a place to take victims to that's not a police station because I know how scary that is. It's very intimidating. Being scared is the worst day of your life. Um, and you've got all these uniforms walking around you. It, it is overwhelming. So um, it's, I just think this unit is just so long overdue and I'm just so happy it's, it's happened. And, um, you know, moving forward, we're going to need a lot more people. Unfortunately, there's a lot of calls. And, uh, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it's working well. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, I know the people I work with are enjoying it, just being able to feel like they're helping and not having to rush through, you know, each investigation. So I think that's important. Right. And how many people are part of the unit? So there's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, 40. So there's supposed to be 10 per unit, but we have some injured and some um, who have been transferred to like homicide and, and different units. So I think we're short a few people, um, but we're actually doing some ride-alongs um, for officers who have shown interest in, in the unit. And they're coming in as, uh, it's called a ride-along. So they're joining our unit on a temporary basis to see if they like it you know, get a taste for it. And then hopefully they'll join us. So that was, you know, whittled down quite a, quite a bit from all the applications. So um, how did you sort of decide, maybe Nick, you can, you can jump in here as well, but how did you sort of decide who um, would be a part of the unit? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't think so. First off, it wasn't me that made those decisions. It was when the inspectors attached to it, who had collaborated pretty extensively um, with some of the service providers uh, from Safe Center Appeal where they're embedded. So, uh, you know, it was a competitive process where members were required to submit uh, basically documentation representing their workplace history. And then there was the uh, conversation piece or the interview piece as well. But how they were selected, I think Kathy's doing a really good job of explaining how they were selected. Like, you know, it is about the the interest, right? The, the passion in making a difference. Uh, the understanding that this type of investigation needs to be done slightly differently than some of the other investigations that police are involved in. And like at a high level, I know when we talked about what the unit should represent, those are the types of competencies and really attachments to like, and they're almost like personal characteristics that affect the way you do policing. Um, and, and I think that's what we were looking for. 
And I really do believe that's what we've got. Um, you know, granted, we need more people. Kathy's uh, pitch for more. For more <laughs> oh, you got that dig, did you? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it is one of the busiest places that, a, that an investigator can work. Yeah. Uh, bar none. Um, so if you're not committed and you don't understand it and you're not able to interact with survivors and people that need our help in a way that is compassionate, you know, trauma informed, that's can be an incredibly long career. And of course, we wanted people to have uh, have good experiences and really make make a difference in the space. So that's how we select them. And for the record, there's actually 49. 49. Sorry. But yeah. I would also like to acknowledge for the record, I think we also understand, you know, when you find something good, there's nothing wrong with continuing the investment and increasing that investment in it. So absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's very interesting because I know just in speaking with a lot of police officers that the IPV call is kind of one of the most dreaded calls because it is so sometimes volatile, but you kind of don't know what you're walking into. So that's that's very interesting. So you said that it was, has been in the works for a while. Um, how did you sort of decide to launch the project? How long has it actually been in the works? Um, maybe break down that process for us. Yeah, you know, uh, we often talk about this, right? So uh, let's look at what is one of the most crucial critical areas that uh, our police service delivers a service to the community. And wholesale change from where we've come in a relatively short period of time, but I can't take credit for it. What I need to first acknowledge is probably the first time these conversations were happening between our organization and some of the partners who we've ultimately participated with about eight years ago was the first time that, you know, it, it sort of became a topic or a possibility. Unfortunately, you know, weren't able to get there uh, at that point. And, you know, uh, this year it has been a, a unique year. Um, you know, why? Three of our top four calls for service are intimate partner violence related. So 50 a day or two per hour. And roughly from 2016 to I believe, believe 2019, continuous increase in those incidents. Um, and about 40% of our homicides were attached to incidents of family intimate partner violence. So when we're looking for justification of a place to invest more in and try to begin making a difference and enhancing our service delivery model, my question is, is where's a better place? Like this is where certainly our police service has recognized an opportunity to do better. And it's not exclusive to our jurisdiction. Like this is a, as I'm sure you know, a national issue. And there is an opportunity to do better. So this represents one change in that space. But again, I don't see it as the end of the story here. This is us beginning to take some of those steps in the right direction to make improvements and make differences in people's lives. And it is you know, a chapter in really some innovation that we're gonna to continue to invest in. Right, right. Yeah, that is sort of an interesting point, too, because I know nationally sort of the statistics show that it has increased since COVID has um, sort of hit uh, Canada last year. So um, I'm wondering whether either of you can speak kind of to how that has you know, affected your call volumes. Well, I, I think the pandemic has created um, where people normally would go to work and their children would go to school. Now they're, you know, they're around each other 24 seven. 
and the frustration of this whole, you know, lockdown and so on is really wearing on everyone's mental health. It's wearing on all of us. It's wearing on, you know, the general public. And, um, you know, who do you take your frustration, your frustration out on? It's usually the person closest to you. And, and that's, you know, the end result is what we see. And, uh, yeah, it's very sad. I, I think, you know, when things open up and people can live a normal life again, it, I think we'll see maybe a decline, I'm hoping. Because, um, uh, you know, it's really hard. People are trying to work and they're trying to, you know, be by their children at the computer on online school. And, you know, if you have a six-year-old, you have to be with them at the computer constantly while you're trying to work because, you know, there's financial obligations and family obligations. And I just don't know how some people are doing it with young children. I, I just don't understand that. I can totally sympathize with their frustration of this whole thing. You know, I think Kathy really hits the, the nail on the head there. Like, you know, the... I can tell you organizationally, if we look at our statistics for a number of incidents, generally after 2019, so 2020 uh, into this year, there's there's almost a leveling off, which concerns me because you speak to service providers and you hear that their numbers have increased, right? So, you know, when you talk about isolation in the home uh, and the fact that there's less opportunity to report, potentially escape, like those things really concern me. Another thing that uh, I often spend a lot of time thinking about is, you know, if we begin to look at 2020, uh, you know, the geopolitical uh, situation has created some issues with trust in police or help uh, promote some of those ideas amongst uh, certain populations. And you, you have to ask yourself, is, is that leading to a lowering of reporting in police? Possibly. Uh, certainly could contribute to it, but I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. And then the thing that I'm really concerned about now is, you know, where's our eye lead? So, you know, we're looking at 2020, 2019, you know, 2021, like we're doing that statistical analysis, but I really want to begin planning into six months from now when things open up, because I think that that is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to carry some unique challenges, much like the pandemic did. The difference here is it's an opportunity to predict and be more proactive because, you know, God willing, we hope that eventually community and, you know, our, our neighborhoods and everything is going to open up. And we have to begin asking ourselves, what are the effects of that? Um, so it's, there's a lot to unpack there. Right. And so you guys launched in March. Um, did COVID, um, I think Kazia had mentioned this a little bit, how did COVID kind of affect that? Well, as far as the, you know, the unit and the location, uh, like I said, we're the only people in the building right now. Um, so we really haven't had that, that face-to-face time with any of the other services, which, you know, we're really looking forward to. I know it'd be nice to see when life goes back to normal for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that sort of being said then, how has it been since you guys launched? Maybe statistics, anything you sort of have to share with us? Busy very busy. Um, yeah, we, uh, we are just, um, on the go constantly, unfortunately, because that's how many, you know, um, domestic calls we're getting. And, uh, I think frontline, you know, I've been frontline for 13 years. So, um, I think they're very happy to be handing those types of calls over because of the call volume on the road. 
um, to be able to hand those time-consuming calls over to us. Um, from what I understand and I'm hearing is that they're very happy with being able to do that. And, um, you know, they, they take, they'll make the grounds for the arrest. If there is grounds, they'll take the, the, um, the arrested party to uh, the closest division. And then uh, someone will bring up, bring the victim to us up to uh, safe center where we can you know sit and uh, interview the victim and offer all the services that are required and then we go out to the division and, and interview the accused um, so basically they just bring the parties to the division to us they drop off their note well they, they give us a briefing they drop off their notes and they're back on the road so i mean it's so much more efficient than taking two three officers off the road um, you know on a really busy friday or saturday night um, that could, that could be a safety issue for frontline, you know, having, you know, lose three or four officers, you know, to, uh, to one investigation. So I think in that sense, it's really, really helping. Um, and I know you mentioned you had, um, a couple statistics. Did you want to touch on this? Yeah, I got these from, um, the inspector. Um, so since the launch of the unit, April 20th to the 30th, let's see. Out of 238 intimate partner violence calls, 73 resulted in charges. 165 calls were non-criminal. During this 10-day period, 203 charges were laid. Top five charges were assault, 52 charges there, uh, 27 utter threats, 13 failed to comply, 13 assault with a weapon, and 10 strangulation. Um, during the time period in the uh, IPV violations have decreased from 345 in 2020 to 238 in 2021. So it's a 31% decrease. And I know our inspector, uh, Houston, she wants to, you know, just stress the importance of the community collaboration, which like I said, it's, it's paramount. Um, just, you know, creating those stronger relationships with them. And, and I think it's really important to note too, that, being in that in that unit and focusing on these investigations, we have the time and you know the organization to be able to keep track of our our victims, our survivors, where we can call them and make sure they're okay. We can call them and see, you know, where are you? Are you okay? What's your new address? Have you found a place to stay? And and we can care about them. We have time and the resources to actually care about these survivors, um, these victims, instead of just, okay, next call, you know, next call, next call, like it is on the road, because that's exactly what it is. Um, so I think that's really important to show these people that we do care, we're humans, we're not just, you know, a uniform. Um, we're, we're human too, and uh, we take a, a vested interest in, in their well-being. I can tell you unequivocally, you know, incredible success because we have people who are passionate and engaged in this space, answering in around 90% of all offenses attached to intimate partner violence. That's huge uh, for a place like Peel being as large as it is. Like ultimately it's one of the, like I said, largest municipal police services nationally to incorporate this model successfully. Huge props and a tip of the hat to the team because they are incredibly busy and for them to be able to accomplish that is amazing. I know um, because I've heard the stories, I've heard some unbelievably compelling stories of our members uh, sitting down with survivors and, and and helping them out in a way that's human and it's, it's way different than 
I, than you would have expected. But I can't, you know, I wish I could share the details with you. Um, Kathy, I'm sure knows what I'm talking about. Really, really amazing stories to hear. And I know that they've like doubled down in the space. And I'm sure, I know for a fact they have saved people's lives. Like, and it's going to sound like kind of altruistic, a little bit corny, but uh, ultimately that's the goal, right? Uh, and they're accomplishing it. So, um, you know, it's a good opportunity for me to congratulate Kathy Asker and pass it along to her team, but unbelievable, profound appreciation for the impact that they're having on survivors and families. I appreciate that. I'll definitely pass that on to, uh, to the teams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that actually rounds it out quite nicely, but is there anything else um, you think that police cross country might be interested to know about the unit or potentially, you know, any advice for someone who might be looking to implement something similar in the future? I don't know. Uh, you know, from my perspective, the, the advice I would give is, uh, you know, incorporate the participation, the co-creation, you know, almost like the co-conspire with your partners like and survivors in the community make sure they contribute to the process because you know certainly in a a large municipality like peel there were some barriers and some some issues of trust etc and legacy related things that that needed to be overcome so you know i think policing has moved beyond the idea of here is what we are doing and it's intended to help you it should be you know more of a collaborative conversation invite people in have them contribute to the service delivery model, and then also have them co-deliver, which is really what we see here. And, and I think probably a big piece of the success that, that we have experienced in overcoming some of those barriers. So to me, that's important. Move away from proprietary ownership of big issues. Kathy, anything to add? Um, yeah, just, uh, we have a very um, cultural diverse community and we have a very culturally diverse unit. So we have people who speak Punjabi, speak Hindi, who speak, you know, multiple languages. So, and I think that's really important because Peel is so multicultural um, that way, you know, a victim can, can talk in their first language that they're more comfortable in, um, you know, talking about something so traumatic, it might be difficult to struggle through English if that's not their first language. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm really proud to see so many people with different languages in the unit. I think that's really, really important for this, for our region. Well, I really appreciate both of you joining us today and uh, providing such valuable insight and congrats on the unit. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Be sure to check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay up to date on all your Canadian policing news at blueline.ca. With Laurier's 100% online degree programs, you can earn your undergraduate or graduate degree from a top-ranked university with an academic and institutional tradition that's over 100 years old. Choose from a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Policing, Master of Public Safety, and five graduate diplomas in the areas of Emergency Management, National Security, Countering Crime, Border Strategies, and GIS and Data Analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards a BA in policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.com. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement.